What's in the bag? A shark or something? Put the bunny back in the box. Guys, five movies this morning. Your co-host Chris Gasperi. This is Frank Pelican. You are listening to the Quick Cage, and Frank, you have promised me another good one again this week, or at least like in terms of I hope being funny, maybe. Um, but uh, what movie are you going to tell us about tonight? So tonight we're going to revisit the 2006 horror classic, The Wicker Man. <laughs> um, something that we talked about in the worst horror remakes of all time yeah um definitely deserved its place on that list um alongside uh nick nick who's playing um edward malice in this movie uh it also stars ellen burston um francis conroy lily sobieski um some other people um for those that haven't listened to the the aforementioned like full podcast um Wicker Man is a remake of one of my favorite horror movies of all time, um, or at least one of my favorite horror movies of the 70s, uh, 1973's The Wicker Man, um, starring uh, Edward Woodward and Britt Eklund, um, Christopher Lee, Ingrid Pitt, um, directed by Robin Hardy. Really, um, really great movie. Um, one of the better cult movies in terms of like being about a cult. Um, one of my favorite horror films as a kid. Um, uh, one that I've actually seen, um, in the movie theater. So I have like some extra fondness for it. Uh, this is a loose adaptation of that. Um, one might say maybe like a pre woke, um, I don't know, feminist parable. Like, set in a similar setting with a similar plot but like not really the same so generally considered I think one of the funniest horror movies of all time this remake mm-hmm. um, by general critical consensus and I can tell you that it, it definitely holds up like as you watch it it's it's pretty goddamn hilarious um, so uh, Nick Cage is a police officer working in uh, California he's like a, a chips officer or whatever like road patrol um you get the vague impression in the beginning of the movie that he's like trying to recover from some kind of personal trauma um stops to rescue a uh baby doll that was thrown out of the window of a moving car by a young child um and return it to its uh its owner um the kid is an asshole and after nick cage is giving it back to it um, she throws it out the window again, so he walks across the road to get it. And as he does, he causes a tractor trailer to swerve to avoid hitting him and crash into the car that holds the mother and the daughter that are were driving. So they die in a fiery explosion. So then Nick Cage is super depressed, sitting at home, doesn't know what he wants to do with his life. Um, until he gets a letter from a former lover, his former fiance basically begging him to come and 
help him find her daughter on this mysterious island of Summer Isle, which is off the coast of Washington State, I think. I think that's right. Oregon. It's it's somewhere in the Pacific Northwest. Um, mind you, Nick Cage is a police officer employed by the state of California, so no jurisdiction in Washington State. Um, but decides to go there anyway because, like, this is the thing that's going to make his life have meaning. Is like helping this woman that left him years ago. Um, so travels to Summer Isle. Uh, basically, has to bribe. Um a sea plane captain who's taking supplies to him and tells him that he doesn't want to take them to the Nicholas Cage law for some, his friend, Mr. Grant and his friend Ulysses. So basically pays the dude a hundred bucks to like violate this like strong moral code. He has to not take strangers to the Island of Summer Isle to take them there. Um, and the, uh, a meta interruption. This is the scene where the very beginning of this uh, <laughs> podcast uh, theme comes from is what's in the bag, a shark or something? Yeah, that's it, it, it's right after that. Yeah. So he lands on the island thinking that this young girl has been kidnapped. And instead of playing it cool, just immediately turns into an asshole to everyone he meets on the island. So there's these two dudes carrying a sack that's like flopping around and is obviously like has something living in it. And as he's, like, being an asshole to all the people that he's meeting, he says, yeah, the the start of the podcast line, the, what's in the bag? A shark or something? Uh-huh. And then they open it up and it scares him. So. Um, so he goes around and he's trying to find his ex. Um, no fucking chill to Nicolas Cage. Like, you know, whipping out his badge. I'm an officer of the law. And the barkeep who's um where, where, where is she from she's like from deadpool or something right or not deadpool um deadwood uh which one is she the the one that molly parker are you talking about that, yeah i guess it's molly that played alma garrett no 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 she's the school teacher the maybe it's kate behan no that's the bitch that plays his wife Right. I didn't mean to call her a bitch. That's the woman that plays his wife. Yeah, I don't know who the... Yeah, I have no anyway. idea. Anyway. <clears throat> it is. It's um, uh, Diane Delano plays her. So, mm-hmm. he immediately goes in there and tries to break bad, whipping out his badge. He's looking for a lost girl. He's going to need to interview everyone on the island immediately. Like, like no jurisdiction. And, like, just trying to, like, push his way around. And she basically says, buddy, you ain't got no jurisdiction. What are you going to do? And that's when he says, oh, you don't know what kind of jurisdiction I got. I'll do whatever I want. Well, he doesn't say it like that, but it's much, much worse. Um, So then they give him a room. And he unpacking his things. And they make this big showing that he's got his EpiPens for bees. Oh, I'm sorry. He kills a bee. He drinks their honey meat and then he kills a bee and everybody gets all pissed off because their island is subsidized, like, all their, like, cult lifestyle is subsidized by the selling of this royal honey that's, like, apparently, like, the greatest honey ever. So, he meets Lily Sobieski, who's playing the Brit Eklund role, Um, although there's no, like, real sexuality or, I don't know, like, eroticism to it. She's just kind of this dopey like housefrau with a broom 
Um, so he finds his ex, and his ex is like, oh, they've taken our daughter. I think she's still alive. So then, oh, I'm sorry, she didn't reveal it. That's a spoiler, like, that it's his daughter, or supposedly his daughter. Or I think it is his daughter. I don't know. It, it is his, it his daughter, daughter, I think, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so you don't know that yet. So she's like, oh, you got to help me find her. And he's like, I just have one question. Why did you leave me? And she got scared and, you know, she missed being home and she panicked and it was too much and she left, blah, blah, blah. So then Nicolas Cage goes around the village and is trying to find clues as to what happened to this girl in like the most ham-fisted, ridiculous way possible, including going into a schoolhouse while school is in session, threatening the teacher and threatening every child in the building with like, um, you know, jail. And then finds a crow inside a desk and everybody laughs at him and then that makes him even angrier. So then he's basically like, I'm going to arrest y'all. But no one wants to talk to him, you know. There's a bunch of men on the island and none of them talk and Nicolas Cage is kind of put out by that too because I think he feels like like the dude should have some say but like no one will talk to him there either. So he goes wandering out in the woods. Nicolas Cage does a lot of wandering in this movie like all over the place. And he ends up getting stung by a bunch of bees of which he's allergic. And then he wakes up in the house of Sister Summer Isle who is the gender swapped version of the Christopher Lee character in the original. Um, and she talks to him, and again, instead of, like, trying to be charming, or, you know, like, just trying to be understanding, he's a complete asshole about it, and he's like, hey, you and your fucked up cult of you. So, she's an asshole to him, too, but he kind of deserves it. So she really is just, like, the deus ex machina, like, exposition character that explains that, you know, they came over on the fucking Mayflower or some shit and her family was like considered witches so they fled west so in the 1700s wait the 1700s when's the Mayflower Mayflower 1500s 1500s, they traveled across the entire width of the continent to this fucking island off the coast of of Washington state which how did they sail there they bring no boat with them to settle, and they've been there ever since. A ridiculous fucking plot. So, he gets the idea that the girl is still alive because he sees this Willow, who's his ex-fiance, has shown him this picture of her daughter, Rowan, wearing, like, a red headscarf thing. And so he sees, like, a kid running around with a red headscarf, and he's like, oh, that's my daughter. That's the daughter. And then at some point around here, she reveals that it's his daughter, but I don't remember when exactly that happens because I don't know. I was like drinking a little bit when I was watching this fucking movie. So he goes out exploring and he thinks that the daughter is being held in this like abandoned graveyard. So he goes to this graveyard in the middle of the night and he's standing there and he hears like some kid like hollering for help. So he goes down into this fucking like crypt. And there's a gate that leads down into a pit of water. So he automatically assumes, oh, well, the kid's got to be down there. So the fucking idiot, like, dives into this pit of water to, like, rescue this kid, 
even though if the kid was underwater, how's he going to hear a calling for help, right? Because it's either drowned or whatever. So then he gets locked in there and has to spend the whole night in this pit of water, which he like survives with no ill effects until Willow comes the next day and lets him out. So then he's basically like, I know our daughter's alive. She's down in that water somewhere or somewhere nearby, which again, like completely ridiculous, like logical jumps. So then the movie kicks into hyper gear and it's like the best, like 25 minutes of cinema and maybe the last 30 years. So Nicolas Cage then leaves her and is determined to search every inch of the island to find this missing girl. So that's when he meets Alma Garrett, like going up a path and she's like pushing her bicycle and she's wearing like, she has like this, um, what would you call it? Like carnival, like, um, crow's mask thing. Right. And he's like, Oh, what's with the mask? You about to celebrate something? And she's like, Oh my, yes, Mr. Malice, we're going to have a big celebration. And then he's like, listen, I'm here to find this girl and none of you are going to stop me. Now give me that bike. So then they have this little tug of war with the bike, like where he tries to take the bike and then she pulls it back and like puts her chin up a little bit. Then he tries to take the bike and she pulls it back and takes her chin up a little bit. And then finally, he just like pulls out his gun and points it at her head. And he's like, you're going to give me this fucking bike. So then she gives up the bike. Right. So then he rides away on the bike, like standing up and like pedaling, which is it's a really funny scene with like his fucking like lanky tall ass, like standing up on this like 19 or 1800s bicycle, like pedaling away. So then the dude proceeds to just break into every house on the island and, like, question people that he finds there. Or if he doesn't find any people, just, like, like look under the sink and, like, look in the closet. So the first house he goes to, there's this woman and her daughter. So he's like, have you seen this little girl? Like, he pulls out his picture and she's like, oh, what permission do you have to come into my house and search, you know, un- un- uninvited? And he's like, what permission do I have? What permission do you have to say the fuck out of my way? So then he opens up a closet and like a girl falls out like a child. But then the kid's like just pretending. So everybody laughs at him. So then he gets like all flustered and runs away. Because that's really the secret to beating Edward Malice. He's just going to laugh at Like he can't stand to be laughed at if he does something ridiculous. So then he seriously continues to like run around the island. All these different houses like looking in like rowing, rowing. And there's all these kids wearing masks, and he keeps, like, knocking these masks off kids' faces. And they're like, ah, leave me alone, mister. And he's like, oh, I'm looking for my daughter, and he knocks their mask off. So he goes back to the hotel where he was staying, like, the, I don't know, the inn or whatever. And, like, why they have an inn when there's no visitors on the island doesn't make any sense either. But that's where he goes. Right. So all the dudes in the island, oh, I'm sorry. So he goes back to Lady Summerall's house, and he's, like, looking around for her, and he can't find her. So he opens the door. And there's this naked old man with, like, bee sting welts all over his body, just, like, chilling with, like, a blanket up to his waist. And he just kind of looks at him and he's like, hmm. And Nicholas Cage is like, oh, and runs away. So then he leaves, and he goes back to the boarding house, and all the dudes there won't talk to him. So he leaves the boarding house, and he makes, like, another circuit, like, through the woods and back up again. And goes back to the boarding house, and, um... Uh, Diane Delano was there talking to some old woman. Oh, I'm sorry. So at one point he goes back down to the beach and the dude that brought him to the island, he finds he finds this like obvious corpse with like its mouth and eyes sewn shut. And it's like all like crow pecked and like windswept. And he reaches out and he shakes it like he's going to wake it up. And then when it doesn't wake up, he's like, oh, like, oh my God, like it's a dead body. Like what am I going to do? <laughs> so then he runs back to the boarding house 
And when he, like, they have this scene before he gets in where um, there was this other old lady that Nicolas Cage was being an asshole to in the beginning of the movie. Um, and they're talking to each other, and um, Barkeep Woman is like, so, did you take care of the pilot? And she's like, yeah, I took care of him down by the beach. And then Nicolas Cage comes in, and he's all frazzled, and the old woman's like, hmm, I'll see you later, and then she just leaves. So then Nicolas Cage starts interrogating the Barkeep Woman, and they have this conversation, and he's basically like, you need to tell me everything you know, and she's like, I'm not going to tell you shit. And then he just punches her in the face. Like, he just, like, knocks her out. So she's knocked out. So she had this bear costume that she was going to wear in, like, the celebration. So Nicolas Cage starts to try and put the bear costume on. And Lily Sobieski, out of nowhere, jumps on his back. So then Nicolas Cage throws Lily Sobieski over a table. And she gets up. And he drops into, like, fucking, like, like tiger-style stance. And gives her, like, two quick jabs to the face and kicks her in the chin. And basically knocks her out. So then he gets dressed up like a bear. Then he runs across the island. And at this point, like, everybody on the island is wearing, like, some kind of fucking, I don't know, like, frou-frou fucking cult fertility celebration costume shit. So they're all proceeding, like, marching across the island together, like, dancing and singing. So he runs out of the woods and just casually tries to slip in in the bear costume in, like, the procession. And is, like, immediately, like, right next to Willow. So he's like, I told you to wait for me at the house. And she was I couldn't wait. I had to come. So then he follows them and they go in their procession and they end up in this clearing. And there's Rowan, the little girl. She's tied up to a stake like she's going to get sacrificed. They start talking about the sacrifice. So he's like, hold on a second. And he runs over there and punches out another woman and takes the girl with him and runs away. So they're running through the woods. So they get out into the middle of a clearing and he takes off the bear costume. So he's wearing like whatever, like his shoes and like slacks and a t-shirt. So then they're walking through the woods and the girl starts to like run and grown ass Nicholas Cage, who's running with no effort, like no breathing problems. Like he's not injured. Can't keep up with the seven year old girl. Like she runs away from him. She's like three times as fast as him, which makes no sense either. So finally she runs out into this like big clearing and all the villagers are gathered there. And Nicolas Cage has his gun out. And he's like, Rowan, come back to me, Rowan. Uh. And they're, that's where the exposition is. Like, no, Edward Malice. Like, we tricked you into coming here because we need a real sacrifice that has blood ties to the village. And that's going to help our crops get better. And that's you. And again, like, fucking hilarious. So... He pulls out his gun and he tries to shoot him as they're like closing in on him. But there's no bullets in his gun, which, you know, cop Nicholas Cage has never checked to see if his gun was loaded. And then um, Willow, his ex-wife or ex-fiance, like holds up her hand and lets all the bullets fall out. But it's only like five bullets. So like, how many? Like an unprepared Nicholas Cage. So they close in on him and he again like drops down into some like fighting stance and starts karate kicking him. Until they converge upon. So then it cuts to a scene of them all walking again, but it's a voiceover of him like previously to that scene being captured, which they don't feel like they need to show. And there's the most ridiculous, like oral, whatever, like ambient sound of things being broken and him going, Oh, my legs, my legs, what are you doing to me? So then 
they, you know, they hoist him up into the Wicker Man and Rowan lights it on fire. He's like, what are you doing? I don't even believe in your God. And then he dies. So then it cuts to six months later. This is the coda of the movie. And the girl that plays Willow and Sobieski are in a bar. And James Franco and fuck. Some other fucking... um, It's some other dude that you would recognize, like, if you saw him, basically. Um, He's, like, a bit player in a bunch of, like, B-movies from around this time period. They're there talking about, like, man, there's no ladies here. Maybe we should leave. And James Frank is like, nah, if we stay for a few minutes, maybe something good will happen. And then immediately, fucking Willow walks in and like, yeah, that's the thing we're talking about. So they go over and they're like, hey, ladies, you're the only good-looking women here that we can talk to. Everybody here else is a lawyer. Like, that's not our speed. So then both of them are basically like, yeah, we want to fuck you. And the end is Lily Sobieski basically saying to James Franco, when you leave, can I come with you to your house? And then you hear the sound of Nicolas Cage screaming and his legs breaking. And then you fade to black. And that's the motherfucking Willow Wicker Man. Yeah. So. Jason Ritter. It's John Ritter's son. That's the other one. Okay. So let's talk about Neil Abute for a second. Let's do, yes, let's do that because that's exactly where I was going with this. <clears throat> so in the company of men, fine movie. And then like I, I really thought that that dude like had done some good movies, but I'm looking and like he has. Well, and he's also a pretty pretty well known playwright as well. Um, like if you look at his plays, they outnumber the films he's directed by two, three to one. Um, sure. I've read a couple of his plays. I know I've read in the company of men as the play I've read the shape of things. Um, that might be it actually. I don't think I, cause I know I had to read one of them for school. Um, and then I, it was the shape of things I had to read for school. And then, um, I remember knowing about Fat Pig, um, which is a play about a, I don't know if they ever adapted it, but it's a play about a guy who hides his girlfriend from his family because she's, um, you know, quote unquote fat, um, and then dumps her because of it. But, um. If you look at this guy's like track record, I mean, it's we. I think we discussed this on the last podcast. Is what the fuck is going on with this movie? Like after you get past the fact that it's hilarious, um, in all the wrong ways. Like, was it meant to be that way? Like we talk about this, right? Yeah, I don't know. Right. It's like it's it's kind of like unknowable in some ways, like where it's like because here's the question about this movie. Once you get past the fact that it's fucking stupid, but funny um, and, and a terrible adaptation um, or remake, like. Is this movie siding with the Malice character or not? Like, is it like. And it's really hard to believe that it is when you watch it right like how how is it i guess is the question and i don't know if we talk about this 
you know, whatever, a year and a half ago. This is episode 40, by the way, that we talked about this movie, which is crazy. But um, anyway, um, so I don't know if we mentioned this then. Fucking Malice, it's so bad. You, you know Malice is Latin, means wicked, right? Right, right, right. I mean, of I, it's 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 so bad. Like, but I mean, the fact that it's like his name like is associated with the idea of evil. Um, but again, it doesn't. You could see it both ways, right? It's like, is he is this defending him and his actions because he writes a lot about masculinity, but he also has these ideas at times. Like in the Company of Men, it's like they're not portrayed particularly well, right? I mean, well, they're all. It's implied that they've all had their tongues cut out, although I don't think that's ever implicitly stated. Like, it's shown a couple of times where, like, he says something to a dude, and the dude goes, and that's, like, the most, like, dialogue that a guy has in the movie. Right. I, I, I don't know what to do with this movie, and I don't know what to do with this guy. Because I know he has a reputation among some for being sexist. Um... But then there's others that sit there and say that people that think that it's sexist are, aren't really, like, looking underneath of all of it. And I think you can make the same argument with this movie, right? Is that, like, you know, if you're... I don't so, know. I mean, there's no protagonist in this movie, number one. So it's really impossible to say that, like... Well, you could sit there and say, though, that it's, like... Couldn't you argue that the women of the island are the protagonists to some degree? Yeah, but they're so sleazy. It's like if they were just portrayed as I was trying to think when I was watching this movie the other night of like a good good like analogy to this this film. And it's like I don't know. Like a- any movie where the antagonist like Doctor Doom, right? Like Doctor Doom is a villain in the Marvel universe. But for the most part, Dr. Doom is trying to do what's right for the people of his country. So he uses dubious means to accomplish, like, laudable goals. Like, all there, there's no, there's no build to say that, like, they're even trying to do the right thing or that it's even going to work. They're just all crazy and they're mean. Like, they make fun of each other and kind of call each other fat. So they're kind of catty and summer Isle is just kind of like a jerk about stuff. And then she's like naked in bed and attended to by like these nymphettes or whatever. So it's kind of implied that, you know, she's like some kind of maybe like lesbian, I don't know, rapist sort of. It's just, there's, there's, there's nobody yeah. Well, right, and that's the other thing that's charges that he's charged with, kind of, is that he um that he's just a misanthrope and makes misanthropic stories, and that both the women and the men in his stories I know are um just awful people because everybody's well, terrible. I mean, that's that's where I first met Neil Labute was in one of the most like callously misanthropic movies of the 1990s in the company of men mm-hmm. which is like really like depressing when you watch it you know from the perspective of the way people treat each other and the way people like esteem themselves i mean that's a like aaron aaron eckhart is a monster in that. right right 
but it seriously is not much different than that's the that's the one with the deaf girl, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. where they make the they make the bet right. um, of who can like woo the deaf girl, and right, they both do, and she falls in love with Aaron Eckhart, and then he's kind of like when it's revealed, he basically just like makes fun of her and kicks her out and breaks her heart. Um, yeah. yeah. So anyway, so back to fucking Wicker Man. If it's parody, then I think that it's a fine parody. Like it's, right. it's definitely funny, and there's no way that Nicolas Cage is playing this movie straight, like at all. Like if these, he's very much leaning into the ridiculousness of the dialogue and the character. And yeah, I, think I, the, I think he said that too. I mean, I I think the more movies I've seen of his, the more I believe that like there are very specific performances that are. 100% like made to be a mockery of the general consensus of like how he is as an actor like the overacting the over enunciation the um hit, like histrionic like body movements and hand gestures and facial expressions like cause that dude when he wants to act he can act I mean adaptation sure. is what like two years before this right not and brilliant fucking movie you know and like an amazing performance and this is just and and here's here's the thing is i think this complicates the reading even further right is like it could be that the the the, like writing this could be thinking one thing in cage because of who cage is even at this time like at this time still can just kind of come in and almost do what he wants to some degree and it's like Cage could be doing something that almost is the opposite of the intent. Yes, I think that could be true. Like Cage recognizes this maybe, it, it, let's just say for sake of argument, this is a critique of feminism to some degree. Cage could see it for what it is and come in and ham it up in order to undercut that. Correct? Like, do you think that's possible? Sure. I mean, but so the the funny funniest thing about it is that when you watch the original Wicker Man, the original Wicker Man is a very it's not overly complex, but it's a very straightforward horror movie where the horror is the death of this man that's just trying to do what he feels is right. He's not made to be an asshole. He's just a very diligent, officious, you know, whatever, British law enforcement agent who's just trying to do his job. Right. So when they kill him, it's horrific that, like, that's the sacrifice. This noble man is getting sacrificed for whatever, like, some ridiculous, supernatural, like, superstitious belief. That, you know, his death will somehow, like, save whatever their harvest or whatever is on the Wicker Man. Here, it's, like, almost, you you feel like it's almost justified that that he dies. Right. Right. I mean, this dude punches everybody. Like, seriously, like, that's his, his like, he immediately just comes out and is just a complete asshole. And it's, like, he's doing it because he misses getting his, 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 his penis touched. By this woman, like that's right. the whole point of it. Right. 
because he doesn't even know that Rowan's his daughter for, I don't know, 50% of the movie. And so it's like, then he's going to, like, he's just doing it all because, well, I just want to know why you left me. Like, oh, I thought we were in love. Like, why did you leave me? Right. So it's, 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 um, yeah. So if it's parody, it's fantastic parody. Um, and it probably is maybe even like better than just being like a bad laughable movie. But I don't know. I think it's just really a confused mess that Nick Cage was like, fuck it. You know, I got to be here. I might as well make the most of it and just made like a really memorable performance. I mean, because if you don't have Nick Cage in this movie, no one ever talks about The Wicker Man again. You know what I mean? No, right. Like, who's, no. who's talking about fucking Darkness Falls in 2021? That's and inherently it's that's, like that's, that, that is that is a random selection, but it makes sense. I was just trying to think of something from around the same time that, like, a disposable horror movie. Who's talking about the Fall Green in 2021? Right? There's a better analogy to it. Right. Like, do you even remember there is a Fall Green Uh. No, but we saw that in the theater, right? Yeah, it's got um, what's her name from uh, Lost? Um, oh, the woman Wait. with the the woman with the daughter. I can't remember her name now. Ah, uh, what was her name? Fucking um... oh, Maggie Grace, right? Yeah, Maggie Grace. And yeah, Maggie Tom, Grace. And 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 fat face Tom Willing's also in it. Yeah. So this is something where like I do not remember movie... this. Okay, right? It it's a movie that came out. It was not a good movie. It was a remake of a movie that didn't need to be remade. It's a perfectly fine horror movie from the... You were still working in Glasgow at this point, right? Maybe. I can't remember where I was when it came out. Yeah. We watched it in Glasgow anyway. But, um... You know, you don't remember it. But, like, Nick Cage has done this thing where, like, this was a meme for years. Mm-hmm. The bees! You know, like, right. all that stuff. Sure. It's just, like... Him punching the women in the face. There was like a bunch of funny YouTube videos. It was just like quick cuts of him decking people and like knocking out Lily Sobieski. So I don't know. I mean, in some ways, it's it's definitely earned its spot, at least you know, in in infamy. Sure. Like among two thousands horror movies. And, and, and you're right, largely because of Cage's performance. The thing is, is like this is maybe now like I don't know, like Jesus, like the fourth or fifth time I've watched this fucking movie. <laughs> And I, it makes me laugh every time. Like, I can't say that about Step Brothers, but fucking Wicker Man makes me laugh every time, so. Right. Like, like guffaw. Like, I'll forget that something's going to happen, and then mm-hmm. it happens. It's just like, Whoop! I don't know if that was a really good guffaw. I don't want to, like, guffaw. <laughs> that was so, uh, you know, whatever. <laughs> fill, in, fill in whatever sounds of laughter, you know, fits your perception of what laughter is in that spot. Yeah, so I don't know. Completely enjoyable. Like I was happy to revisit it. Um, at first, I was kind of annoyed at the idea of us having to like go back and talk about something we've already talked about. But right. it's kind of nice to do like a deeper dive on it instead of the shorter version that we do on the longer podcast. And if you've never seen this movie, like it's a hundred percent worth checking out. I mean, just to see. There's no nudity, really. There's no... I mean, there's some implied like nudity and sexuality, but it's not really there. The violence isn't over the top. You know, it's not like... There's not a lot of jump scares. So all the things that bother people who have an aversion to horror, it's not there. But it will make you laugh your fucking ass off, like, the entire time. Like, it's just really... It's a hilarious movie. 
him reaching down and shaking the corpse to see if it's still alive. Like, you have no idea how little sense it makes. Either right. in the context of the scene or in the context of how, like, human beings live and recognize other things that are alive. Like, it is 100% a dead body, and he's like, hey, <laughs> and then it does it. And runs yeah, away. I mean, yeah, that's the thing, is the movie's funny, re- regardless of whether it's intentional or not. I find, I just always wonder about those things, but um, it's it's funny no matter what. Uh, so yeah, if you some people don't like things that are supposed or like unintentionally funny, but I mean, like if you do, like, and you never seen this, like, you got to check it out. But I would also say, like, if you actually like really good movies, watch the first Wicker Man. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Here, here's my other argument for it too: is that some of the cinematography in this movie is absolutely stunning. Like, they the whatever wherever they filmed this, I don't know where it was filmed. They captured it at exactly the right time of year where it's like lush and green and full of color and the sky is like perfect like blue all the time it's just there's some really stunning shots that if you only saw them in the context of like someone showed you a picture and said this is a shot from a movie you would probably say like hey i kind of want to check out that movie like that movie's really pretty like i'd like to see it right and it's like i don't know well the dude that did the cinematography on it um did affliction and um the sweet hair after so i mean he's he's got you know stuff to his credit that's good yeah paul sorosi oh and exotica that's a good movie oh i didn't see that yeah i forgot all about exotica yeah so yeah so definitely recommended in the least like recommended kind of way that you can recommend something like it's so unrecommended it's absolutely like a must watch movie I think if you're a fan of you know bad movies in Nick Cage or you got whatever 86 minutes to kill or however fucking long this fucking movie is 102 minutes oh my god (laughs) so here's a funny fact so it made 38.8 million dollars at the box office against a budget of 40 million dollars so it was 1.2 million dollars shy of like breaking even I'm sure it broke even like once it got released. Um You know, the other thing too is that everybody is a caricature in this movie. Which I really think I really think speaks volumes to the fact that it's gotta have like a sense of like satire to it. Right. I mean Francis Conroy is terrible, Ellen Burstyn is terrible. And those are both good actresses. Actors, or Molly, Molly Parker's really good. Like, um, I was just, um, I just rewatched Deadwood in the past, like, you know, six, you know, four weeks or whatever, six weeks, something like that. Um, and uh, last night we haven't talked about this, I was going to talk to you about it after. I know that you weren't like the, the biggest fan, I think, if I recall correctly, of this movie, but I watched uh, 1922 finally after, um, like three years. Um, on Netflix, and um, yeah. I really liked that movie a lot. I thought I thought it was good, and um, even though she's only in it for you know like twenty minutes or so, I, I I I'm always impressed with her every time I see her. So Molly Parker's a really good actress too. I don't remember what 1922 is now. That's the um, Thomas Jane movie where him and his son kill. He's a farmer and kills the oh, wife. He kills- 
wife, right? Yeah, yeah. It's mm-hmm. based on the Stephen King. Um, mm-hmm. Him, and, King him and Joe Hill, like, yeah. Novella, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I didn't hate it. It just wasn't like. Yeah, it, I remember you were just like a like that. Uh, was fine. your reaction? But I, uh, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was filmed really well, and um, I, I thought it was a good slow burn that ultimately didn't necessarily like pay off. But um, I don't know. It felt like it had a um. Oh, what's his name that we really like a lot from Flanagan? I I felt I felt it felt kind of like a that kind of like those endings that Flanagan does sometimes. Um, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I don't know. I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. Maybe I should revisit it because it was at a time where I wasn't like I don't know. It's been a long time since I saw it. I think it's been out for a couple of years now, at least yeah. like over a year. Oh, it's been a while. I've had it on my watch list uh, for quite a while. Um, I, I initially put it on my watch list right when I think it was right when COVID started. And yeah, it was like definitely a, a COVID watch for me. And I just like couldn't. I never brought myself to hit play, and um, I forgot about it for so long that it like popped up in a different list, like on um on there, and um on netflix and it was just like oh right i never watched that and i just hit play and watched it and i i ignore half the shit that i watch sometimes like after a while like i just have it kind of playing while i'm doing something else but um i actually watched it so that says something about it at least yeah Uh, maybe i'll check it out again something gave me real quick the other night just because we joke about it so much something gave me uh a category god i can't remember what it is now it was like I think it was Tubi, maybe. It was like films under 90-minute films or something like that. It was like, oh, shit, they got me down. <laughs> they figured my shit out. Right. <laughs> I don't think I've ever gotten that category on Tubi, so it's really funny. Uh-huh. Yeah. The algorithm worked. Yeah, so... um. Okay, scores on Cage Performance and uh, this movie. I mean, it's 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 a nine out of ten cage performance. Like, it, easily one of his most memorable, like, most memorable roles for being so terrible. Right. If that makes sense. Psychotic, right? Never yeah, what. but a hundred percent. Like, you know, like you will never forget Edward Malice. Um, the movie itself, I don't know if if it's if it's a straight film that you're supposed to take seriously. And supposed to feel the horror of Edward Malice being sacrificed, motherfuckers like a one. Like it's really bad, and right. it, there's no, there's no gained empathy for any character in this movie as you're watching it. Like you literally hate everyone. Right. If it's if it's satire, which like I like to think it is, then you know it's like it's like a six. Like it's fun. It's engaging. I don't know what it's satirizing unless it's just satirizing like. The whole men are from Mars, women are from Venus dynamic of like the late nineties, mm-hmm. which that feels like maybe that's where Neil Laboot is stuck anyway. But um, yeah, I mean it's it's it it's all right. Like it's but no matter what, like it's as a comedy, like fucking things like a nine out of ten. Like it's a really funny movie. Yeah, <clears throat> where do you rank? This is putting you on the spot, but where do you rank the original Wicker Man? Like roughly in terms of your top horror movies ever. Hmm, that's easily in my top fifty. Um, 
it could be a top twenty-five. That's I what really I'm, that's more of what I'm wondering. Yeah, I I really love the Wicker Man a lot. I mean, it's it's one of those movies, and I I, I say this sometimes. I don't ever like to whatever like I don't like overuse a phrase, but it's one of those movies where the first time you see it, especially if you don't know what you're in for or like you go into a blind that feels like something you should not be watching like it feels like taboo almost because there's the scene with like Britt Eklund just like smacking her naked body against the wall and singing the mm-hmm. the song and him you know um, in his like awkward puritanical like lawman but also like you know a man with lust in his heart like just writhing uncomfortably on the other side of the wall from it like there's all kinds of things and it you know there's there's lee who's got this like perfect amount of just like menace and familiarity like you know that guy but he's so i don't know like subtly evil in everything that he does and then i mean the first time you watch him like get shoved up you know they put him in the fucking like funeral garb or whatever and shove him up inside the wicker man and you're like oh my god is this gonna happen you know because he is like he's not like the greatest guy in the world but he is the protagonist of the movie and they you know edward woodward plays him as the protagonist of the movie and it's pretty shocking you know especially like I don't know. I mean, I, I saw this when I was pretty young, but like to see a protagonist die, like to see a horror sure. movie where the villains 100% get away with, you know, everything. And there's no right because right. We grew up in an era of a final girl, right? I mean, so yeah, yeah. well, just in, in general in movies, like, you know, I mean, you're used to seeing the hero win. You're used to seeing, right. yeah, like, the impossible escape at the last right you're right even if they lose they don't die you're right right like like you're waiting and maybe it's impossible to watch this movie now without like having some like i mean we just spoiled the whole fucking thing so it's not gonna have anyone listen to this shit but like you know when you watch that for the first time like if you don't know what's coming like it's shocking to see that end of that movie and i think that it's so because it's such an idyllic setting and again like this is another thing and i know i just praised the cinematography of the labute version of this but like one of the things with the original wicker man is it's this beautiful lush island but it's set against like these drab dreary you know like sunless days of whatever like being off the british isles like it feels like an island that's like dying and it, like so it almost makes their feeling of like needing a sacrifice like have some meaning to it but it's still so horrific that they you know like them shoving him up inside um you know inside the the guts of the wicker man to die and i think the wicker man itself like the um the edifice or whatever that they build like is much more effective in the original movie like it's very much like the one, the one in the Labute looks like something you would see in like Burning Man or Coachella or something like that, or mm-hmm. you know, like a college bonfire or something. Like I, there's Texas A and M or some one of those places does a similar thing, like where they build like a giant like construct and then burn it down. 
But the one in the original, like, it looks like some fucking, like, makeshift pagan, you know, facsimile of, like, a human that they're shoving him in so he can die. Like, I don't know. I just, I really love the Wicker Man a lot. Yeah. That's interesting. I just looked up. Harry Waxman is the guy who um, was the cinematography on on this. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to... That name sounds awfully familiar. Which Swiss was it? The '60s Swiss Family Robinson that we covered in the tropical movies. Yeah. Uh huh. Okay, that's where I know the know it from. Then, gotcha. Okay, I know I had seen his name at some point before. He did the cinematography for that as well. Um, but interesting dude. Like uh, the cinematographer for that for the original movie is that he um does a bunch of crime movies early on, then does Swiss Family Robinson, and then um, does tons of comedies, it looks like. Like, that's the most of his career at that point, like, throughout, like, the 60s, is comedies, and then does The Wicker Man, which is fascinating. <laughs> yeah, that is pretty fascinating. <laughs> I'll say another thing about it, too, like, the genius of the original, is that a lot of it, and remember, like, this is, like, early 1970s British film, a lot of it is like calling into question how much does Christianity, like how much reach does Christianity have in the modern world? Yeah. And even though like they're not in the modern world, like, you know, how much does glory to God like actually protect you? And it's like, that's another thing that's shocking is like, this man is like a devout Christian and there is no salvation for him. Like he... Yeah, it's 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 um it's it's a more than good Christian, bad pagan. Right. You know, I mean there's a lot going on there in that movie. Yeah, especially because like their spiritual beliefs, like that's the thing with Brent Eklund is like I mean, she tests him to the point where like, you know, he's questioning his own like morals. And those the inhabitants of um uh whatever the fuck the island, I think it is called Summer Isle. Yeah, it is. In um the original. Yeah. Um the inhabitants of Summerall, they have no no like doubts about the righteousness of their their task. Like they're just trying to save their trying to save their world, basically. Their community. So I don't know. It's a brilliant movie. I think that it's I would have told you at one point that I felt like it was underrated, but I I, I think that enough people appreciate the Wicker Man now that I would say that it's an appropriately rated and you know revered horror movie, and a de definitely a classic. I mean, one of the best you know best horror movies of the nineteen seventies. Yeah, when we covered that, I can't remember which episode that was, but when we talked about it before, I remember reading into it, and it's one of those movies that just kind of like almost like a train, like just slowly gained its critical acclaim over years. Um, it was largely forgotten for a while, but there was just enough people that knew how good it was that just kept pushing and pushing it and slowly just kept gaining more and more steam to where I think now it's it's respected well enough, you know, of what it should be. But I still don't think as many people that really like horror probably, and I would say like younger generations probably have seen it, but there's also a problem with that in terms of younger generations not really always respecting like stuff from a long time ago too so i mean it's it's our generation um i think like discovering this movie and 
word of mouth, like talking about it and making mm-hmm. other people watch it. I mean, that's how. Yeah. I'm almost positive that I introduced Chuck and Zeke to it, or maybe like that was one of our shared, <laughs> like shared moments mm-hmm. early on was our love for the Wicker Man. Right. Like I said, like I got to see it like on Halloween down in Fells Point at some like random across the street from where they filmed um the um homicide. Mm-hmm. Basically, like in this like upstairs room. I can't remember what the name of the place was, but it was just like a makeshift theater and I got to see like an actual, you know, twenty four millimeter print of it. It was amazing, like watching it with other people in a dark auditorium. Like it was really cool and I don't mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd like to know where really... that's. I would like to know where that's at at this point. That's really cool. Yeah, um, I remember you mentioning that like briefly before, but yeah, I would like to know where that is. Um, that you saw. Yeah, I have no but... idea if it even still exists. I mean, my my friend Sean was um working at a video store. Like he was going to school in um at UMBC in Arbutus, and he was working at a video store. Uh, somewhere outside the city, I think. Um, but he knew like he was always able to find places like that. And so he knew somebody that knew somebody that right. knew about that place. And we got to go there and it was just, it was a really good experience. No, that's really cool. Have, last question. And then we'll be done. Have you, ha, have you seen the shining on the big screen yet? Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. I saw, I got to, see, well, I haven't seen the remastered shining, like what you guys got to see. Oh, I right. That, the, that one. Right. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. I, I saw the shining in like 90, Okay. Seven or ninety-eight, maybe down at um, maybe down at uh, it was in DC, maybe. Okay. All right. Or maybe it was the University of Maryland, but it was that that was an amazing experience too. Like it was in some school's auditorium, like this giant auditorium, and there was maybe like twenty of us, Mm -hmm. fucking five dollars a ticket or something like that, and just oh my god, like. I mean, because back then, you know, what would you have? VHS? So, like, everything you had seen was some, unless you were spending, like, 30 or $40 and, like, whatever. Like, I couldn't afford that when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. You know, you were seeing, like, some secondhand fucking garbage-ass VHS tape that a hundred people had watched before you. And, like, seeing, I, I, I remember, like, the clarity of those scenes in that movie and being blown away by how... um I don't know, just like like beautiful everything looked. Yeah, like I, I, old, sorry, go ahead. It, it it's weird because now like we're older and we've lived throughout, you know, like a large number of different formats like DVD and Blu-ray and whatever, digital. So it's almost impossible to be like super amazed at how good something looks, I think, or it's it's difficult. But like back then, like when you would see something on the big screen like taxi driver on the big screen Mm -hmm. dude i i got to see taxi drivers re-release in i don't know 2000 no it was earlier than that it was in like it was earlier than that because i would have seen it if it was in the 2000s but yeah Yeah, it was in like the late 90s in philly i think Mm -hmm. zeke and i went to see it right and ridiculous like you're watching this movie it's like you've never seen it before because it's so amazing to see it on the big screen yeah and we've become kind of, I don't know, I think, like, I don't know, sort of, like, blasé about that stuff because, you know, I'm watching my TV and, like, my resolution yeah. is better than, you know. What yeah, I'm there, there's something seeing it on such a big screen, though. It's like, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think I expressed to you because I saw it like, you know, with Chuck many years ago now, um, before the re like that remastered or newer version that I saw with Heaster. And um, there were some things like I thought, I don't know, that was just kind of like weird to me, like in terms of like compress, I don't know even the language for it, but like a transition, but compression maybe or something that were weird with that version that I saw with Heaster. But, um, um, but yeah, I mean, the idea of seeing that on the big screen, like as many times as I had seen that previously on a small screen, it, it's still an experience. And, um, and there's plenty of movies that I now have seen the past few years, usually because you've told me about them. And I've watched them. And I've thought afterwards, like, even if it's long afterwards, I was like, God, I wish I could see this on a big screen. Um, and it's like, I wish I had seen Hereditary in the theater. Oh, yeah. Dude, I'm a fucking fantastic experience. I I wish I could have seen that in the theater. Uh, you know what else was amazing in the theater, too, was um The Witch. Uh, yeah, I'm sure that's right. Yeah, like as much as Orion hates that movie, and honestly, I'm like I'm not gonna lie, like Midsummer was fucking. I'm sure, I'm sure. Even though I'm not a, like a fan of like the plot of that movie, and I think it's over long, and I will have that discussion someday, I'm sure. But like, um, it's a beautiful movie, and yeah, I wish I would have seen it in the theater with you guys. I mean, um. But yeah, pretty much like everything that Ari Aster and Robert Eggers is doing. I'm glad I saw Lighthouse in the theater. Yeah. Um, but anything that Ari Aster and, and Eggers are doing, I, I, I really would like to see in the theater. Um, but yeah, seeing that's one of the main things I want to do, I think, once it's um, safe, is go to more of these revivals. Oh, yeah. Um, and and see some of these older movies on the screen, even if they're even if they're digital, you know. I mean, I I still want to see them in a big screen. A lot of them. There's almost no other way you're ever going to see it. I mean, it's going to be. Really I mean, it's difficult it's to find Sunday. It's Sunday afternoons, and usually like Wednesday or Thursday evenings or something like that. And whatever, fuck it. Like, yeah, hundred percent. So, um, yeah, I, it's it's because I so I. I not to make this any longer than it has to be, but I sent you guys the um the full length trailer for the Green Knight, and mm -hmm. like I'm watching that movie, like some of that stuff, and I've I've been bitching for the entire year that I just wish that they would let me see it, like on my television to rent it, but I I don't want to see that anywhere but in the theater for the first time. Yeah, yeah. Like I need to see that shit, like forty feet or twenty feet tall, thirty feet tall. Yeah, like towering above yeah. me. In like a darkened auditorium like that's gonna be be careful you're amazing. starting to, you're starting to sound like Scorsese right now so <clears throat> trust me I'm still gonna watch all the shit that I can on my fucking couch it's just certain things I think you know shut up man fuck you I... <laughs> Colin, Colin Scorsese um I just you think that that I, I, I... <laughs> yeah but you know what so here's here's me being a hypocrite Mm -hmm. I am super stoked for his fucking western. Is that the killer killers on Flower Moon? Is that a western? Yeah, yeah. It's oh, western. I don't know anything about that at all. <clears throat> I've only seen a couple of screenshots from it, and mm -hmm. man, it looks beautiful. Hmm. Like I am, I and you know what it is? Is because like I think I hate Scorsese stuff so much because it's the same goddamn movie over and over and over again, and let me see 
him do something different. You know what I mean? Like, I want to see a Scorsese West. Right. I hate the oh. fact that it's got fucking De Niro in it, but whatever. Maybe he'll be good. No, it doesn't. Yeah. So, uh, let, let, let's real quick test that out. I, I, you want to see a different movie. Okay, I get Goodfellas and... <sighs> Goodfellas and Casino are the same movie. Okay? So... Right. All right, let, let's start. Let's just start with Mean Streets here, okay? So, what is Mean Streets sim- similar enough to that it bothers you? Oh no, Mean Streets is completely its own thing. Okay, so um... Mean Streets is, is him doing gangster before he decided he wanted to glamorize being a gangster, right? So or okay, make it cool, right? So then he does New York, New York, which is a musical. Okay, then he does Raging Bull. What's Raging Bull like? <clears throat> Nothing. Raging Bull is its own thing. King of Comedy. That's its own thing, and I love that movie. After Hours. Uh, bad, bad its own thing, but its own thing, right? Yeah, but it's its own thing. Okay, Color of Money. Mostly its own thing. Mm-hmm. Last Some Temptation of that element of, like, of oh. like crime in it, but you know, it's, it's, it's whatever. Right. Last Temptation of Christ. That's its own thing. Right. Cape Fear. You skipped over Goodfellas, but I guess you said you were going to do that. Well, yeah, because um, that then Casino were the same fucking movie with a gender difference in one role, and it's and the second one sucks. So, Cape Fear's remake. So whatever. Right. I guess it's the same thing. But you like that version, right? Sure. Yeah. Right. I I actually I honestly I probably prefer that version if we're being completely. Like fourth right. Do you prefer De Niro over um, what's his face? Mm. Hmm. I don't know. I mean, it's fucking Robert Mitchum. Like, it's hard to prefer. I there's something about De Niro's performance that to me feels more real. Yeah, like skeevy, like. Mm-hmm. Like somebody that you actually like know, especially growing up around here, like you know people that are like similar to him in the way that they like talk and carry themselves. And I don't know. I mean, no, I, you're, I, I, you're I, right. I love Mitchum, but I will right. take, I'll take Night of the Hunter Mitchum over Cape Fear Mitchum. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, okay, so Age of Innocence. Uh, I guess that's its own thing. It is its own thing. Um, Oh, Kundun. Yeah, Kundun. Oh, are you looking it up now? Okay, all right. Yeah, so. it's, it's its own thing. Right? Whatever, motherfucker. So they're all their own thing. But the problem is is that what you think about when you think about him is the you fucking Irishman. You, you want me to get off your back? <laughs> yeah, get all the way. It's the fucking Irishman. It's fucking The Departed. Goddamn casino. All right, so, 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 let's, so let's real quick just now. Now I want you to give me this. Okay, so where does it go wrong? Like in his film career? Mm-hmm. I don't know. He's made some pretty great films. No, but where does it where does it go wrong that you have this opinion? So it's a combination of him coming out and shitting all over big budget popcorn superhero movies. Mm-hmm. And then making the fucking Irishman. Like, all you're doing is like repeating yourself and playing to the playing to like whatever like fanboys you know what i mean 
Mm-hmm. But instead of being fanboys of fucking Captain America, they're fanboys of like wishing they were motherfucking like Italian mobsters in you know some bygone era like that all these people fucking masturbatorily like fetishize so that's it's it's, it's the same thing you know it's like whether you're wearing a three-piece suit or a fucking spandex costume it still is like hero worship so fuck Scorsese for that goddamn shit like movies don't always have to be these you know what and the Irishman ain't even that good like fuck that movie so it's it's not like he made some like brilliant masterpiece. It's like he made some garbage shit with the same garbage ass actors that he's used his entire career, and fucking made it like fucking seven and a half hours long. And like, and, and uh, de-aged him because the technology was available, right? Because you know he wanted to make that movie like fucking fifteen years earlier or something like that, and then he was like, oh, they're too old now, like so we can't do this movie with the people that we wanted, and then suddenly, um. Once the de-aging stuff happened, like it was like, oh, we can do this now. <laughs> He's also super hit or miss, like over the past right twenty years, because like Wolf of Wall Street is good, Shutter mm-hmm. Island is not great. I think, right. I think I liked Departed a lot more when I saw it, but definitely not something that I feel holds up. I haven't watched it since then. That that's one I need to rewatch and see because I liked it when I saw it, but I I think I could agree with you. Yeah, what did you think? It, yeah. What did you think of Hugo? Is that the kids' movie? Yeah. Oh, I actually really liked that a lot. I fell asleep 30 minutes in and never woke up. So um, this was in yep. 2012. But yep. I, so I never watched it after that. Frankie and I watched it together. So I mean, maybe there yeah. was some. Right. There's some. Brand, Brandy and I watched it together and I fell asleep. I, I, I liked the way it looked and I liked the design of like the animatronic stuff. Like I thought it was a. I thought it was a cool combination of. I don't know, almost like a fantastical, um, what the fuck ever you would call it, like George George's Franu, like French, you know, experimental dawn of cinema shit mixed right. with like a steampunk element mixed with uh, like Miyazaki kind of like I don't know, I, I thought it was fine. <sighs> oh yeah. my goodness, I'm getting tired in here. It did get real tired real quick. I understand why I fell asleep now. Um, <clears throat> um, Aviator's a fine movie. You know, we've talked about Gangs of New York plenty of times. Like, I think it's a great performance in a mediocre movie. Yeah. Bringing Out the Dead's ridiculous. Kundun is terrible. Casino's terrible. Age of Innocence is decent. Like, it looks really nice. Cape Fear I like. Goodfellas I like. But I feel about Goodfellas the same way I feel about fucking Scarface, which is, I don't ever want to talk about it again. Um... I haven't watched that movie since like 1993, so we should talk about it again someday. I watched it a couple years ago. I mean, we can if you want to, but every once in a while I get it in my head that like maybe I need to watch something again, or right. somebody brings up a scene, or I see something on like YouTube, and I'm like, oh right, like I remember. Like, I mean, I've seen Goodfellas like probably like five or six times in my life, but I saw them all between the years of 1991 and 1990, maybe four, something like that. But um, yeah. that's that's. If there's any episode to have Watt on ever, it's the Goodfellas episode. I'm sure you'd appreciate it. Watt loves Goodfellas. I get it. But um, I have a feeling like I would just get like really bored and annoyed with Goodfellas now. Right. You you would. I think I was. Again, like 
it's one of those things where you can appreciate the artistry and you can appreciate the talent. But it's like, okay, like I get it. I don't know. I don't know how else to say it. I mean, honestly, you know, Mean Street's my favorite movie of his. Like, I love Mean Street. That's interesting. What list does that make? It's also probably my favorite De Niro performance. Hmm. That that's that's a tough one. I don't know. That might make the a supplemental like seventies crime movie list. Um. Hmm. I think the only reason I left it off in the first place was because um, I figured we'd hit it somewhere else and just has never come up. Right. That's yeah. I think that's I, really I, tough. I, um, I think Matrix is amazing. Because I'm trying to think of like De Niro performances, like because there's a lot of really good ones, but I'm trying to really think of his my favorite performance of his. Um, that's because that's a bold claim, I think. I, think. I mean, it's the it's it's the perfect combination of like latter day. De Niro just being De Niro, kind of like the swagger and whatever of yeah. him just being himself, and like the unhinged, like experimental it, De Niro of like Taxi Driver. Because I mean, like taking Mean Streets over Taxi Driver is bold. I, I think, think for most people, no, no, that's yeah. fine. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying that it's bold. Um. And Probably both taken over Godfather Part Two as well. I mean, like, uh, nah, like I don't, it. I don't think it is because he's in it for what, like, thirty-five minutes of screen time, maybe forty minutes. It's all a flashback, right? I mean, it's it's a, a, it's it's a supporting a actor role. Movie. What's that? Yeah, it's a third of the movie, I would say. Yeah, I think that like when you think about best performance, you can't like take a supporting role. I think you have to take the the lead role. Um. I think some people would, some people would probably say Raging Bull. Yeah. Um, I think very few, but a couple would say Once Upon a Time. Yeah, that's top five. Um, Brazil is great, but it's a supporting role. Um, nobody would say Midnight Run. Um, <laughs> who the fuck ever would? <laughs> That's just my like very subtle way of slipping Midnight Run into another podcast. Because um, huh, well, they we'll, never get talked about on their podcast. Well, it's gonna it's gonna get talked about next year um, in the in the Redux of movies Chris loves and Frank hates. Um, I hope I'm fucking dead by then. <laughs> you can Redux yourself. I and you think it's. <laughs> Sorry, I was gonna make a joke. You think it's better than the fan, but um, seriously, do you, so it's better than Heat. Midnight Run. No. Fuck oh, his performance in um, yeah, it definitely. Okay. Because I think Heat's I, a I really good performance. performance. Yeah, I, yeah, I think Heat's a lot more subtle than people give it credit for, but um, it's it's top five, De Niro. I think it's Jackie Brown for me. He's too much of a supporting character in that. Yeah, I guess you're right. 
that's a great performance. I guess because but... it's more of an ensemble cast. I mean, I guess like you know, Pam Grier is like the star of that, and everybody else is supporting around her. But um, yeah, I guess you're right. I mean, I'd say Mean Streets Taxi Driver. I I love him in King of Comedy. Um, right, right, That's and then for that, but... maybe Cape Fear, maybe Goodfellas, like around there, like that's his top five. Maybe Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, you know. Right, that's my that's my midnight run joke. Except I hate Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Right. God, what about Bram Stoker's Dracula? Fuck both those movies. That's on HBO, and it keeps like they keep telling me it's like you should watch Bram Stoker's Dracula. Like, just do it, um, and I won't do it. They keep telling me a lot of things too, and I don't listen. <laughs> All right, I don't know how he ended up like breaking down through Nero's career at this point, and I'll never listen to this ever again. So um, I'll never know. But um, thank you for listening, if you're still listening, and um, have a have a good week. Yep, have a good night.